Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're on the eighth lesson now of our first quarter study in the book of Hebrews. And this week's is titled, Jesus, the Mediator of the New Covenant. All about the mediation or intercessory work of Christ as priest in the heavenly sanctuary. That's right. And it's an exciting lesson. There's some great points in lesson. I will say there were some points uh, that that caused me pause or question. Mm -hmm. And I would explain it this way. Uh, we were talking about how when we do training, uh, we're training people to give Bible studies, you know, a lot of times you have a printed lesson that was put together by somebody else, mm-hmm. and it is inevitable, and I tell students this all the time, that you're going to, when you do that, you'll come to some question at some point in time in the study where they have a question and then a Bible text, and for the life of you, you can't figure out how that text answers that question. And so I've had students say, what do I do? And I tell them, you just tell the folks I'm not exactly sure what the author of the lesson, where he was going with this text, but if, if you have another text, you can substitute and say, but mm-hmm. there is a text that I can think of and share that. And if you can't think of another text for that question, just skip over it and just tell him I'm not quite sure where the lesson was going here. So are, are you recommending that we just skip over this week's no, lesson? It's so flawed or no, something? No, but I, but I am saying that there were some things. I, I don't want to read into the reasoning of yeah, why ascribe motive to something but for yeah. example this week's lesson is on hebrews chapter uh, eight okay. christ as the mediator of the new covenant focusing in as we've said before on the high priestly role and i, I want to say that throughout this quarter there seems to my satisfaction at least we're not focusing enough on jesus as the high priest there's this need to talk about his kingly and this that and mm-hmm. the other and those are roles that he has mm-hmm. but but from my understanding of Hebrews, the emphasis of Hebrews is the high priestly role. Mm-hmm. So on the beginning of this lesson, Sabbath afternoon, it says, uh, Sabbath afternoon's first paragraph, by living a perfect life and then by dying in our place, Jesus mediated, past tense, mm-hmm. speaking of his earthly ministry, a new, better covenant between us and God. Mm. Now, to me, that's just... that. I don't know exactly. It, it seemed... Anyway, I don't want to try to figure it out. All I can say is this. The word mediate, the word intercessor, mediation, mm-hmm. are used in Scripture to refer to Christ's priestly ministry. Mm-hmm. And so to refer to his earthly ministry as something where he mediated, and even to have mediated in a sense that it's accomplished, yeah. what's he doing in the heavenly sanctuary? It just confuses right. the issue. Christ's mediation is in the heavenly sanctuary, and right there in Hebrews chapter 8, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, because there are priests who do that. He wasn't of the right tribe, etc., etc. And and, and I think that there might be some people who might think that, oh, because Christ needed to go beyond the cross and go to mediation in the the heavenly that somehow denigrates the cross or diminishes. This isn't to any way take away from Christ's life or his death or any aspect of earthly ministry. It's just the complementary aspect that we're looking at in the heavenly ministry. That's exactly right. Yeah. We would not totally would would uh, affirm the perfect life of Christ, the death of Christ on our behalf, is foundational mm. to the Christian faith. But it was not his mediation. Right. His mediation then was carried on as uh, high priest. Uh, I have in our notes here the focus of Hebrews is Christ's present ministry as our high priest. The plan of human salvation will be complete only when his priestly work is done. And there's a mm. couple statements here, the fir- both from great controversy. In fact, these are within paragraphs of each other. And I would encourage you to read through and review the chapter in Great Controversy called Facing Life's Record, where it's really zeroing in on some of these elements of Christ's priestly ministry. But why don't you read that first one? It says, The intercession of Christ in man's behalf in the sanctuary above is as essential to the plan of salvation as was his death upon the cross. By his death, he began that work 
which after his resurrection he ascended to complete in heaven. And this is from 489, Great Controversy. Yes. So maybe in their statement, by living a perfect life and by dying, and then by dying in our place, Jesus, you could maybe say instigated or inaugurated or yes. began, as she yes. uses, but you can't put it in a past tense, right? But, but yes. And, and I think she clarifies that. In fact, this comes a few paragraphs before that one where she says, All need a knowledge for themselves of the position and the work of their great high priest. Otherwise, it will be impossible for them to exercise mm. the faith which is essential at this time or to occupy the position which God designs them to fill. So this, the burden I have mm. is that the only book in the New Testament that really dwells on the position and work of our great high priest is the book of Hebrews. Now, we've talked about how Revelation shows Jesus our high priest, but it doesn't dwell on the position and work of the high priest like the book of Hebrews does. So I don't want to lose that in our study of Hebrews. Like, there are elements of Christ's ministry and his life and his death and his resurrection we can talk about, but in Hebrews, the focal point is the priestly ministry and how that ties into the rest. Well, and it's interesting, too, that she talks about, as we understand correctly his position, we will then understand our position to occupy. So what he's doing now and what we're doing now are intimately tied together. We must have an understanding. Exactly right. Now, so having said that, I drew three talking points out of the lesson this week. The first is from Sunday's lesson, The Law Made Nothing Perfect. It's actually from the book of Hebrews (laughs) as well. It actually (laughs) is. Um, So, The Law Made Nothing Perfect, the first talking point. And then, number two, The Law Couldn't Change the Heart. And I've actually drawn that from Thursday. So, I went down to the end of the week because I want to end with what's sandwiched in the middle. And that is that Jesus is the mediator out of, of a better covenant. And what that is all about, I, draw that, I drew that from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday's lessons. Okay, well, we've got a little bit of time left, so let's dive in and tackle these talking points. Yeah, we've got a little bit of time <laughs> left. We had a big intro, but that's yeah. okay. We're going to get through it. Amen. Now, this is just so, the, the law made nothing perfect, as you mentioned. It's stated in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul says, For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. Commandment and law here is referring to the Levitical law and the, and the, the commandments, the rites, the statutes. The, the, the whole ceremonial system. Yeah. In that sacrificial system okay. that was pointing forward to Christ. The law made, and the Levitical priesthood, by the way. The law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there's the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And it's interesting to me as I went through Scripture, and I've got references in our notes. I'm not going to take the time to look them up. But over and over and over and over, the Apostle Paul brings up in the book of Hebrews that the problem with that Levitical priesthood, the ceremonial law, is it could never cleanse the people from their sin. It could not perfect the worshipers in regard to the conscience. You find, for example, Hebrews 7, uh, verse 11, which we didn't read. We just read 18 and 19. Well, we could just rattle them off. I bet we could read them real quick, or at least a couple of them, just All to right. get the spirit of it. Seven eleven. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, comma, and it goes on to explain, mm-hmm. what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek? Right. Okay. Hebrews 7, uh, I'm sorry, 9, verse 9. It was symbolic, the earthly system. Mm-hmm. For the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. 10 verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. And then in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 40, when Paul is talking about how 
uh, the ones who went before us are not going to be raised before we are. We all go to heaven together. He says, God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Mm. And so there are other passages we could look at to say this, but repeatedly. And then 1223. So 1223, when he comes to this final crowning the new Jerusalem, mm-hmm. we've come to Mount Zion, he says, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 23, this is 1223, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Mm. So we're coming down to the new Jerusalem, and who's going to dwell there? People who've been made perfect. How in the world? Not through the yeah. Levitical priesthood, because right. it couldn't make anybody perfect. Well, and that's the so, one we skipped over is Hebrews seven nineteen, which is where the talking point comes from. For the law made nothing perfect. Right. And then it says, on the other hand, which is to imply that there is a greater wrong. power. There's something else involved. That's right. So, the repeated problem, again, it says this, I've stated it this way in the notes, the repeated problem with the Levitical priesthood is that it could not perfect the worshipers. The apostle called it weak and profitable in that regard. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know what I said. Did I say profitable? Yeah, Weak and unprofitable. The text says, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Right. And it says, why? For the law made nothing perfect. And Sunday's lesson, Sunday afternoon, uh, Sunday's lesson, second paragraph says, the issue with the old covenant was that it could not provide perfection. Hebrews 7.11. Paul is talking about the Levitical priesthood and its ministry, sacrifices, feasts, etc. The animal sacrifices offered through them could not provide true total cleansing from sin or access to God. And of course, the implication is that now this new priesthood, this better mediator, better covenant, whatever, will provide what couldn't be provided before. So the law made nothing perfect, and specifically... The problem with that is, moving in our second talking point, the law could not change the heart. So again, to, to be clear, that's not to say that the law is somehow faulty. Right. It's just not for that function, right? That it's it's not designed right. to be a perfecter. It's, and, let, and let's be clear that, that in the context, we're talking about the Levitical law, the ceremonial mm-hmm. law, the law of priesthood. But it wouldn't matter if you're talking about the moral, moral law. law they, too. they were yeah. not designed to to make to change the heart. Right. And we'll see, in fact, um, I have the bullet point under the law could not change the heart. The fault of the old covenant was in the people, not the law. The lesson highlights that same thing. Hebrews chapter 8, right there when it talks about the new covenant. In verse 7, the apostle says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Now, our evangelical friends will look at that and say, Yeah, see, there's a fault with it. It says so right there, and the fault was the law. Hold on a minute. He goes on to say where the fault was in verse 8, because finding fault with them, them, with the people, he said, I'm going to make a new covenant. And he goes on in the end of verse 9 to say, because they did not continue in my covenant. Mm. And so again, the fault of the covenant was in the people, not in the law. Uh, The weakness and unprofitableness of the Levitical law was due to the inability to change the carnal heart, which the Bible says is enmity against God. Mm -hmm. And so... In Romans 7, verse 10, and I'm not going to take the time to look it up, but I love that verse where the Apostle Paul says, Therefore the law which was intended to bring life, and just pause and think about it. Now we're talking about the Ten Commandments, the moral law. Mm-hmm. If I could, in my own strength, obey the law perfectly, I would live for eternally. Mm-hmm. Because the wages of sin is death, but I, you're not sinning if you're keeping the law perfectly. The problem mm-hmm. is I can't do that in my own strength, inherently. Uh, and human in Adam, can't do that. before the fall, if he just continued in that law, it would continue in his life, right? It would be. And, and, and let's be clear that man has always obeyed God through the grace of God. 
Sure. It's just um, got to throw that caveat in. Therefore, the law which was intended to bring life, Paul says, was found to bring death. Why? Because the carnal heart is enmity against God. And mm. so now because of the fallen condition of humanity, there's no amount of trying to obey that's going to work. Mm. And so the heart has to be changed. Um, and that's what that's the Lord was talking about in Deuteronomy 5. And I think you yes. got it in your notes there. Whenever, When that old covenant was originally given, they made good sounding claims. Like, oh, we hear everything. We understand. Yes. We're going to do it. The yeah. Lord even said what they said was right. Exactly. He's like, that's a good statement. But he laments in Deuteronomy 5, 29, oh, that they had such a heart in that they would fear and always keep my commandments. If only their heart that's could exactly match their right. rhetoric. Right? That's right. And so it should be noted. I have this in our notes. That no system of law, no matter how good, can impart righteousness. The lesson touches on this at the bottom of Sunday, if you want to read that last paragraph. In other words, even the Ten Commandments, as good and perfect as they are, cannot provide salvation. They provide a perfect standard of righteousness, but they do not provide righteousness any more than looking in a mirror can erase the wrinkles of age. For perfect righteousness, we need Jesus as our substitute. Yes, and I would add as our surety, which the lesson goes into, and we're going to go into. Well, we need him as our. We need him as our. We need him in every aspect of him. We need his sacrifice. We need his intercession. Well, there's a thing that continues to come up that that it's it's almost on a regular basis. Jesus obeyed, so we don't have to. It's Mm. this concept that oh, thank God Jesus obeyed for me. I, I I just can't do it. I'm never going to be able to do it. And he did it for me, so I'm just going to keep on wallowing and struggling in sin the rest of this. That's not good news, folks. Mm. I mean, and what you're going to find in Hebrews is when it talks about Jesus, the whole idea of the Levitical priesthood and this bringing perfection, I like the way the lesson pointed out. It couldn't, the the Levitical priesthood could not cleanse people from sin. It couldn't cleanse their conscience. It couldn't, uh, uh, you know, relieve the guilt. Now, of course, you've got Jesus paying the penalty, which is a part of that, but part very clearly that comes through in Hebrews is his ability to save to the uttermost, Mm. to give the power to those. We've looked at this in previous lessons, Hebrews chapter 2, to be able to come and find help. Um, yeah. In fact, chapter four, four, rather, yeah. four, verse sixteen. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is not mm. a justification statement. This is a I'm it's an living active, today, ongoing power and I need source. power yeah. today against the sin in my life and the temptations mm. that come. Come to Jesus. Come to the throne mm. of grace. Look unto Jesus. This is the kind. This is the point that's being made there. Mm. And so, in the new covenant, the Lord will write the law in the hearts of the people. Lesson brings that out on Thursday, paragraph one. Mm-hmm. And then it talks about obedience as an expression of, of gratitude. And, and this is something I think we've touched on before, too. Mm-hmm. It's often said that we're not saved by our obedience, but God saves us. And then as an expression of gratitude or love to God, we respond by obeying. Now, I don't have issue with that yeah. in and of itself. But the idea can be, we can take away the idea yeah. again. And I hear people do it. It's like, yeah, we'll just never be able to obey. And so, you know, God saves us. Like, I'm saved, done, past tense, over. And now I do my best. Um, mm-hmm. I just, but as long as I love and I respond in love. And there's this mindset, like, even God himself can't ever help us to really obey. It does come across as defeatist oftentimes. Yes. Like, I have victory in Jesus and all in the theoretical, but in the practical, eh, I'm never going to really win. And it's, it's like, so God can do a work on paper, but he can't really do it in the person. 
and and I, and I struggle with that because that doesn't that seems counter to the whole whole point. Like you can look to Jesus, you can come to Him for you know grace what's and interesting. Of and, there is no Christian, no Christian. I don't care where they are in this discussion, who believes that we're going to be sinning in heaven. Somehow between now and then, something is going to have to, somebody's going to be able to do something mm-hmm. to stop it. But for some reason, God does not have power to do it while we live Well, here apparently here. once we break the atmosphere plane on of, the way up, then he's, then we're, he's able yes. to do something. But while we're stuck in this malaise. Well, you know, it's more being stuck in the flesh. And people say, well, while we're in the flesh, see, because it, what the flesh is stronger than God. Mm-hmm. Like, is this what we're saying? Well, anytime and you so, have, is Jesus stronger than? The answer is always yes. Whatever so you fill in the blank. so let's be clear. When we talk about the flesh, we're talking about the carnal heart. And this mm. is the whole point. The new covenant. When God says he's going to write his laws in the hearts of his people, that means he's going to change. He's going to in, it, it bring a change about within. Now, that does not mean uh, mm. that we lose uh, the temptations of the flesh. Mm-mm. But it does mean there's a new power brought into humanity. That's right. Humanity. It's a new power. Yeah. Now, Ellen White makes a great point, uh, point, and I've got it. The sub point I put in the lesson here is true obedience is the outworking of a principle within. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage you, I have truncated this fantastic statement, Christ, uh, Christ's Object Lessons, page 97. Why don't you go ahead and read? The, the, I would encourage you to read the broader statement, but just for sake of space and time, we've truncated it here. There are many who try to reform by correcting this or that bad habit, and they hope in this way to become Christians, but they are beginning in the wrong place. Our first work is with the heart. The heart must be converted and sanctified. True obedience is the outworking of a principle within. That's right. And just to clarify, when it says our first work is with the heart, that doesn't mean we change the heart. Mm. And you'll get that if I've got dot, But it's dot, the dot, location it. of our first need. It's right. where the need is, and we've got to recognize, and you'll see that when we talk about the covenants, the problem with Israel and the reason God had to make the old covenant was because they didn't realize their hearts were faulty. Mm. They didn't realize their inability to obey. Mm. And so as we move on into the third talking point, Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. We take that right there from Hebrews chapter 8, and it tells us in verse 6, Now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Mm. So we get the idea that the covenant is better because the promises are better. Okay. I mean, uh, that's, I think that's pretty plain from the statement. Well, it makes it, it could, it could, you could read that and think like, so God's promises in the past were bad and his promises now are new because <laughs> we right. think that promises are always from God to us, but there is an agreement in this covenant. It's a compact between parties, right? It's a, it's a confusion on the covenants. And I've found this, and I have to say, I've found this repetitive point in, I have to believe it's, it's kind of an editor viewpoint mm-hmm. here. With the quarterly, because we studied the covenants, we studied Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, and we looked at the covenants again. We're looking at the covenants again, and this point keeps coming up. And I know it's not a widespread belief in Adventism, mm. that there are some who hold, or one I know in particular, I know the editor holds this point, that the new covenant really was no different from the old covenant. And I know there have been discussions I've heard from people in Sabbath schools, like, is this really what... The Old Covenant and the New Covenant are the same, and in fact, it stated that at one point in a previous mm. lesson. So I, I think there's some confusion over the covenants. In fact, this this lesson, it's Monday, tries to make the point that the new covenant really isn't new. It's renewed. And it says in the first paragraph that according to Jeremiah, it says, 
God's promise of a new covenant was in fact a renewal of the covenant he first made with Israel through Moses. Now, if they had said a renewal of the covenant with Abraham, I would or have been on board. <laughs> yeah. Or Adam. Yeah. And so, we're not going to be able to flesh all this out. We want to take a moment to talk about this. I want to encourage you to read in the book Patriarchs and Prophets the chapter called The Law and the Covenants. Mm. Ellen White is crystal clear in there that the original salvation covenant first was made in Eden when mm -hmm. God said, I will put enmity between the serpent and the woman, he told the serpent, Genesis mm -hmm. 3.15, that it was that covenant that was renewed with Abraham, and that was the salvation covenant. Which, when you say the salvation covenant, this is where the I think... The everlasting it, covenant. Right. Or the new covenant. Yes. Right. This, yes. Is, this is, I was what? expressing to Mark earlier in, in our pre-session, that one of the things that's difficult is the language old and new, because it implies chronology. Like, the oldest one is the old covenant, and the latest one is the new covenant. And therefore, anything Old Testament is old, anything New Testament after Christ is new. Well, But you read through the Patriarchs and Prophets, the reference that you mentioned there, yes. and she outlines very clearly that that initial Eden promise, right, all the way down through Abraham, this was the new, she expressly says that that was the new covenant. And that what Christ has come to do is to make real the promises of that new covenant, which is actually the oldest of them, if you will, That's the right. everlasting covenant. Well, the Apostle Paul makes the point in the book of Galatians and also in the book of Hebrews right here in chapter 9, verse 16, he says, where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. And Ellen White builds on that in Patriarchs and Prophets and makes the point that when God made covenant with Abraham, he rat it, that, that covenant is ratified with the blood of Christ, but the blood of Christ wasn't shed until Calvary. Mm -hmm. But the old covenant made at Sinai was ratified by the blood of bulls and goats. Mm -hmm. And so the blood of the covenant was shed first, mm. making it older. Even though, yeah. even though Abraham, the promise to Abraham was made earlier, because the blood of the covenant was not shed until later, it's mm -hmm. referred to as the new covenant. Yet... The Bible speaks of Jesus as being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So it was in surety there. That's right. It was symbolically it was represented. But the actual shedding of blood came in the symbols that's right. given through Moses and the sanctuary services and whatnot. And so that's the old covenant is the symbolic, the ceremonial. But the reality, which Christ is the true, just yes. as the sanctuary is the great original, the great true, is the new covenant is actually the everlasting covenant, which has been since the moment there was need of a savior. Now, I don't know how much of this I would get into in the class, but the point I would want to draw the distinction on is when we're talking old covenant, what we're talking about is when the people of God at Sinai thought that mm -hmm. in their own strength, they could do the will of God. And so they said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. And they entered into covenant. Ellen White highlights that that the terms of that old covenant were obey and live. Mm -hmm. and, and I have in the notes here, in our notes, the old covenant was based on the people's promises to obey. The new covenant was based on God's promise of grace and forgiveness, his mm. promise to change the heart, etc. And we see that, Patriarchs and Prophets 372, again, very truncated, read the context around this, but it says, why don't you read that for us? The terms of the old covenant were obey and live. The new covenant was established upon better promises. The promise of forgiveness of sins and of the grace of God to renew the heart and bring it into harmony with the principles of God's law. 
That's right. And so again, in the Old Covenant, the people promised to do something, and of course God would respond. But in the New Covenant, you notice that God makes all the promises. I'll write the law in their minds and mm. their hearts. I will be to them their God, and they shall be my people, and what have you. So the New Covenant is not simply uh, the renewed covenant to Moses, or the renewed Old Covenant. Mm. It is a renewal of the, or reinstatement, if you will, of the covenant made with Adam and Abraham, yeah. the Abrahamic covenant. And you may ask, well, why did God even enter into that covenant, the old covenant, if there was already a standing covenant? Ellen White addresses that in Patriarchs and Prophets. She says it's because the people didn't realize how incapable they were of obedience. Mm -hmm. So God said, fine, you go ahead, you promise to obey. He entered into covenant, and she says within 40 days, <laughs> less than 40 days, they broke that covenant and were dancing around a golden calf. Mm -hmm. And once they had fallen... Now they realize their need for the power of Christ in their lives, mm. and it opened them to that covenant made with Abraham. And mm. again, it's a powerful chapter. I, again, would encourage you to read that. Now, the lesson goes on to the idea of Jesus being the mediator of that better covenant and the better promises, and it ties into this idea of him being our surety. Now, this comes mm. from Hebrews 7. You want to read verse 22? Hebrews 7, 22. 722. Sure thing. says... By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Okay, now the, what's interesting here, now the English Standard Version, the ESV, uses the word a guarantor. Somebody mm. who guarantees something that would happen. Uh, New American Standard and the NIV use the word guarantee instead of surety, all expressing mm -hmm. this idea. In fact, I took this from Albert Barnes' notes on Hebrews 7.22, and I thought they were fascinating. This point was fascinating. He says this word surety, the Greek word, occurs nowhere else in the New Testament, nor is it found in the Septuagint. So it's this one place it's found. It properly means a bondsman, one who pledges his name, property or influence that a certain thing shall be done. Mm. And this is the word it uses of Christ. In other words, Christ has pledged himself like, mm. I am going to finish this Well, he's the work. author and the finisher. <laughs> and he's not only laying out the terms, but he's put himself in this mix. That's right. So, so we've talked about this a little bit, how, you know, we see it in this lesson. I've heard it in conversations where there's this clamoring for assurance of salvation. It's always mm. like, oh, don't say this, or don't say that, you're going to rob people of assurance. And we like to talk in past tense terms. So even the beginning of the lesson, now I don't right. know for sure, but it's like, oh, Jesus has already completed. He mm. died on the cross. We are saved the mediation past accomplished, tense. yeah. And, and we talk about this past tense salvation. I like what the late Roger Kuhn used to say, because Seventh-day Adventists don't believe in a once saved, always saved salvation, nor do we believe that Jesus' work was all finished at Calvary. That it was by virtue of that work we read in Desire of Ages. Mm -hmm. that he great began the, the intercession that he Right. Yeah. The sacrifice on Calvary was complete, but that mm -hmm. doesn't mean his mediatorial work was complete. But the late Roger Kuhn used to say when people would ask him, Brother, are you saved? He'd say, Yes, I have been saved from the penalty of sin because Je Jesus died in my place for my sins. I am currently being saved from the power of sin in my life as Jesus mm. has given me strength to overcome, and I will finally be saved from the presence of sin when Christ comes again. Mm. And so it's this more comprehensive view, bringing into view the work of Jesus. Now, we were talking about this, how there's this desire to have an assurance in, the, in yeah. being able to say I'm saved right. versus... Well, in, in my understanding of it, I, I think that people are looking for assurance in salvation 
when they should be looking for their assurance in their Savior. That's exactly right. Right. That the fact of or the status of salvation, I'm, I'm going to hang on to it like a ticket. And if right. I get this, this gets me in. When the reality is, it's he who gets you in. Cling to right. your Look at Hebrews. How many times so they look she, to Jesus, the author and finisher. So when she right? talks about, the Bible rather talks about Jesus as the surety, this one who pledged himself. And you think mm-hmm. about Abraham and the cutting of the pieces and the symbolic, right. you know, God basically pledged through, his yes. life that he's going to make this happen. Like you were saying, you know, you have some event coming up and it's like, oh mm-hmm. boy, I sure have the, hope I have the ticket. If I don't have the mm-hmm. ticket, I'm not getting in. Yeah. And so I can see why a person who's panicked, stressed out about this like, is I don't my have everything. That ticket, yeah. Not realizing that if you're walking into the event with the guy who makes the tickets, yeah. like, and you were talking about like going to certain places. If you know somebody, like there's an event going on. It's like, oh yeah. wait, I don't have my pass. But you're with somebody. But I'm with like, the guy who goes. Back. It's like I'm with the guy. I'm with the right. performer. I'm with him. We're it's with like, the guy. Yeah, we're going backstage. It's no problem. Jesus is the surety, and mm. when you understand that Jesus has pledged Himself, then it doesn't matter what kind of verbiage or terminology. It doesn't matter mm. how you feel. If you feel insecure, if you brought to view that you're weak and you're not where you want to be in your spiritual life. You're with the guy. Yeah, amen. <laughs> and that's why he says we can have confidence to go right before Christ because we know who's there. We have friends in high places. That's right. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. Amen. It's based on better promises, the promises of God that do not fail. Well, let's uh, get to that concluding thought. Yeah, so though. I took this concluding um, statement from the Ministry of Healing, page 37, from Ellen White's notes in the lesson. If you're using the app or whatever that comes with Ellen White's notes and uh, the mm. Wednesday's lesson, this was compiled in there, and I just love this statement. Why don't you share that? Sure. Uh, Christ came to the earth and stood before the children of men with the hoarded love of eternity. What a great phrase. <laughs> like he's just gathering it up and collecting it. Like you it. don't think of God being a hoarder, but he he's, is. he's hoarding up love yeah. from all eternity to shower on fallen humanity. If someone doesn't preach a sermon called God the Hoarder, mm. I don't know. <laughs> With the hoarded love of eternity. And this is the treasure that, through our connection with him, mm. we are to receive, to reveal, and to impart. Mm. Human effort will be efficient in the work of God, just according to the consecrated devotion of the worker, by revealing the power of the grace of Christ to transform the life. Mm. Amen. Yeah. Friends, these are some rich themes and some deep study, and I have no doubt there's going to be some very dynamic, engaging Sabbath school classes that come from it. We're going to pray that the Lord will bless in all of those efforts. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time we've been able to spend together today. And thank you for the book of Hebrews, but most importantly, thank you for the Christ, our intercessor, that this book reveals. Help us to look to Jesus as the author and finish of our faith in full eagerness of his soon return. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.